chapter 20, if you will, Matthew chapter 20 tonight. We'll continue our study, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, amen. We kind of wrapped it up last week. <clears throat> Um, as we came to the end, just getting into uh, chapter 21, but I just wanted to kind of do a quick recap from verse 29 of chapter 20, and then we'll go into the, the next chapter. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for tonight. Thank you for the group of people that have come out. I just pray that we would uh, do your word right, God, that we would exalt you and magnify uh, you, and that you would just speak to our hearts. We just praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> just an amazing thing. I was thinking today as I was kind of studying um, Matthew, uh, just kind of preparing for the lesson and throughout the week, and it's an amazing thing to be a Christian. It's an amazing thing, and it's something that we do often take for granted. You know, I think about the kids, and a lot of times I think about why do kids get out of church, why do kids um, just kind of, sometimes they lose interest in church and the things of the Lord, and I think it's sometimes it's because they look at us, and we don't really act like we like it. You know, we don't really act, if we treat church like it's kind of a grind or it's kind of something that we have to do, how can we expect our kids to really appreciate it? If it's hard for us to serve Christ, why would we, Why would our kids want to serve Christ? But it's an amazing thing, you know, you think about that song we just sung, the wonder of it all that Jesus would love me. You know, in, in Psalms, I think it's 139, David, thinking about God, it says that God, you know, he knows our down-sitting, he knows our uprising, he knows our thoughts afar off. Every, t every word that comes out of our tongue, he knows. And, and David said, this is, this is too much for me, right? I, I, I do not understand this. It's far above me. He could not imagine that God cared so much about us. And it's an amazing thing. There is nothing better in life than serving Jesus. Nothing better. If you, if you have more pleasure and if you get more out of anything else other than coming to church, other than being around the fellowship of other believers, other than serving Christ, your heart has been given over to a false God because there is nothing more living, nothing, nothing as great as knowing Jesus Christ, and that is the truth. And we as Christians really nowadays, we really need to appreciate this kind of stuff, really need to prepare, right? Lay hold on that eternal life that's been given to us. It's an amazing thing. You just think, you see Christians nowadays, and like we talked about before, the rapture is about to happen. God can come back at any moment, and what in the world are we concerned with? What in the world are we thinking about? Right, we're, 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 we're indulging in pleasures, uh, just kind of going through the past times, with, but Jesus is coming back. What will he find us doing? Right, just even, even, even going out on Saturday. You know, the golfing was fun, but let me tell you what, visitation is amazing. Telling other people about Jesus Christ beats out any kind of activity that I could think of in my entire life. It's the best thing possible, and I wasn't even the one doing it. What I love about going with pastor is, man, he, Man, if I, I, I pray that one day I'd have half of his boldness, the way he just tells people about Christ. It's an amazing thing just to be out there serving Jesus. There's nothing better than that, praise the Lord. And so I just wanted to testify tonight that I'm just so thankful, so thankful that I know Jesus. As we go into verse 29 of, of chapter 20, Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem, which is a very, very serious thing. It's kind of... It's, it's comparable to the end of Acts when, when Paul is about to go back to Jerusalem. And all of Paul's fellow ministers, they're, they're asking him not to go because of the, they know the danger that will befall Paul there. 
with the Jews. The Jews are very aggressive. They do not play around, right? They are very physical, and they're not scared to use force when it comes to things that they would disagree with. And so the same thing is, is with Christ. As he talks to the disciples about going back to Jerusalem, they know very well what this is going to entail. And in verse 29, as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Again, they address him in his messianic title. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? We talked about this last week, right? Everybody knew what these blind men were crying out for. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to see. But Jesus had to ask them the question, What do you want me to do unto you? Because they had to confess not just the messianic title, but they had to confess their need, their need. Verse 33, they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. This testifies to Israel's spiritual blindness and their lack of the knowledge of the need that they had for their Messiah. They wanted their Messiah to come, but they could not recognize the need spiritually that they had. And that's what Jesus was saying. You have to recognize that in order for me to establish my kingdom. Now, as we go into um, chapter 21, as we go into chapter 21, some things just to think about. Jesus is addressing a nation, a nation, right? He's coming back to Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, right? They were the ones that were supposed to receive their king. He came unto his own and his own received him not. His own were the Jews, right? He's dealing at this point with a nation. All right, he, not yet with the body of Christ like pastor was talking about. And it's very important to note that, right? Because as a nation, they weren't just, there wasn't a small sect of the Jews that rejected him. They nationally rejected their Messiah. And we're going to look at that tonight. One of the things that I wanted to point out though, and it's amazing, as we start reading in verse one, it says, and when he drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come out to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus two disciples. Then sent Jesus two disciples saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and the colt and the foal of an ass. And the disciple went and did as Jesus commanded them. And he brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now I kind of curtail what we were talking about Wednesday night a little bit, right? That word Jesus, Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Jesus was coming back to Jerusalem to do a different ministry, as we know, than the establishment of his kingdom. He was coming for the cross this time, a very solemn, meek, and, and lowly way of entering back into Jerusalem. And you can almost imagine the thoughts that were going through Christ's mind as he goes back. He's going there to die. And there's we understand the whole reason that he had to die but it's important to note this too. You think about that name Jesus, right? Jesus. Kind of studying it out and thinking about the, the difference between the form of salvation that was prior to the cross and what, what has been given after the cross, right? The name of Jesus could not save, 
before the cross. It could not save. It did not have the power that was given to it until after the resurrection. You think about that, right? What, what did the nation of Israel address Jesus as prior to the cross? Son of man, son of David, right? The Messiah, the Christ, right? That the name of Jesus had not yet been given the kind of authority it had given, been given until after the cross of Jesus Christ. They did not know, right? At the moment that you would say, who is this Jesus? And you learn that he was from Nazareth of Galilee and he was a carpenter's son. They lost all respect for that name. They did not appreciate the name of Jesus. And so the, the very ideal, uh, the idea of our salvation hinging upon our belief in that name, the power being of that name, was not even given to Christ himself until after his obedience to the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that really quick because it's important to note that as he's coming there, he's coming to do a mission that seems like it's an absolute failure, but in reality, it's necessary for us to actually have salvation through faith in his name, in his name, the name of Jesus. You see, Christ was doing messianic works, but as soon as the Jew, like I said, heard about just where he had come from, you know, they say in the latter part of what we just read, they say, who is this? Right? They hear the hosannas, they hear the praising, and all they're concerned about is who is this man? Right? Where is he from? Right? That's all that they care about in their, in their, in their Jewish mindset. Now go with me to Matthew 20 here. Go back a page here, Matthew 20 in verse 20. We read this last week. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the one on thy left in thy kingdom. That's a good mama. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Right? He's, he's like, You don't understand what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. He saith unto them, you shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it was prepared of my father. You see, there's in, in request of this kind of gift or this kind of honor in regards to Christ's kingdom, Jesus was reiterating to them that it's not, it's not predicated upon request, right? God gives certain levels of authority in his kingdom due to the obedience to whatever was given to that individual. In Christ, we understand by his obedience, was given a position of authority that no other man has ever had or will have because of his obedience, right? And that's what we're talking about in regards to, in regards to his name. Hold your place in Matthew, but go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 a very familiar passage of scripture to you. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What is the next word? Wherefore? Because of. Because of this. Because of his obedience. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That includes the name of Jehovah. If you're a Jehovah's witness. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, he was, his name was given that kind of authority because of his obedience. 
So to say to say that in in the Old Testament retrospect of those saints, I mean, they were just going around preaching Jesus. That name had not even been given the authority to save until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God highly exalted him above every name because of his obedience to the cross. Go, um, hold your place there. Go to Acts 2, Acts 2.25. When Peter is preaching at Pentecost, you see that the apostles, their teaching changes. Before, remember when Jesus asked in Matthew 16, Peter, whom do, you, whom do men say that I am? And Peter makes that confession. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You write the messianic title. But in here we see the preaching change and he starts preaching a different kind of message. Verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, when Jesus was going to the cross, he had to have faith in God the Father that he would not leave his soul in hell neither suffer his flesh to see corruption. Jesus had faith in God the Father. In verse 28, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried in his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ and sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now both see and hear. Go down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They said, oh, snap, he's right. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, when John the Baptist was baptized, and they weren't baptizing in the name of Christ, because it had not received, the name of Christ had not received that power yet. But after, after they had sinned against the Lord and crucified him, suddenly judgment was in connection with the name of Jesus, right? That, that, that's what holds the power now. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go with me a page over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. Neither is there salvation, in verse 12, in any other, for there is none other, what? Name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, right? None other name. No other name, because no other person has ever officially obtained the atonement from God in order to give salvation, right? We, have, we, we read Acts chapter 17, verse 31 last week, when Paul comes to Athens and he looks at all of them worshiping ignorantly things that they don't know. He says, you all are just too superstitious, right? He said, in the time past, God has winked at these things, but now he commands every man to repent. Why? Because God hath appointed a day that he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man that he ordained, which was Christ, whereof he has given assurance to all men by the fact that he, what? Raised him from the dead. Jesus was the first begotten from 
the dead from hell, right? God didn't leave his soul in hell because God approved of his sacrifice. So God says, if you, if you want to get to heaven and obtain salvation under the auspice of any other name, good luck, because there's only one name that God has put his stamp of approval on, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Aren't you happy about that? No other name can save us. No other name do we preach other than the name of Jesus Christ because he has the authority, right? We just read that passage where it says that God has blessed him. He's exalted his name, but he hasn't done he hasn't just done that. He's given him the promise of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, and you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We really don't get that, that word dead, right? When Adam, you are a body, soul, and spirit. And when Adam sinned, he retained his living soul and he retained his body, but his spirit died. He didn't have a quickened spirit. So in order for Jesus Christ, right, John 5, 22, he says that God has committed all judgment unto the Son, and Jesus Christ obtained that, that power of judgment after his resurrection, and God has given Jesus Christ the ability to give life unto those who accept him. And as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God. You see, when you, in, 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 your salvation is judicial. That's the problem. We think Jesus is just Santa Claus slinging out gifts right? It's judicial. You stand, when you are dead without Christ, God does not know you. He does not know you. You are destined for hell. There is a bar called the law of God that stands between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to, God is, God is righteous, right? The world has to, Romans 3, uh, 19 says, for we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Without God, without the Holy Spirit, you are dead spiritually. You are dead. You have no connection to God whatsoever. But thank God, when you, when you, when you kneel down and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, God says, thou shalt be saved. And the judge, Jesus Christ, judicially considers your penalty paid and he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit of the living God and you become a son of God. John chapter 17, right? John chapter 17, here, hold your place in uh, Matthew. John 17, this was the prayer that Christ prayed. This was the prayer that he prayed. John 17, verse 1. And uh, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That's amazing. You see, Jesus is up there ready to give life to those who would accept him. He's ready to give his spirit to those that would accept him. And it's an amazing thing to think that we could be justified without the deeds of the law, right? Romans 3, God has declared at this time his righteousness for the remissions of sins. It's absolutely amazing. It's amazing that men would deny the free gift of salvation. They're going to stand before God on judgment day. And there's going to be three things that testify against creation, right? The word of God, the law of God, man's conscience, and, and the testimony of the world is going to stand before man as they try to argue their way with God, and they shall stand condemned because they never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the judge, right? It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It's judicial. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Why are we looking at this? Because when I think about Jesus riding into Jerusalem, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he did what he did so that I might be saved. And I don't like getting over that, right? But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. Do you love Jesus tonight? 
I ain't never seen him, but I can tell you I love him, right? Even though now seeing him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what we rejoice in tonight. That's the hope that we have because Jesus Christ did this. Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. You see, your old man deserved to die the death that Christ did. Your old man deserved every bit of beating that that cross did to Jesus Christ. But the problem is, you weren't a lamb without blemish. You were not a lamb without spot. You deserved that punishment, whereas Christ didn't. Christ did not deserve that. But your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, I love verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, if we be dead with Christ, right, we believe that we shall also live with him, right? That old man is crucified. That body of sin, that body that had dominion over you, that law of God that just worked wrath against you, wrath against you, wrath against you, that's destroyed. It's taken out of the way. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's an absolutely amazing thing. And praise God that he did it. Go back with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter chapter uh, 21, I believe. Matthew chapter 21 there. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus Christ is riding back into Jerusalem. And it's the time of the feast of the Passover. Right? A very important time uh, specifically to the Jews. Now we don't know how many Jews were there. Right, all these Jews that were saying Hosanna, Hosanna. But Josephus, right? Every every family had to sacrifice a lamb. Okay? Josephus, the Jewish historian, estimated that there was roughly 256,000 lambs that were purchased in order to be bought. So if you if you estimate 10 members to a family times 256,000, you're pushing just under 3 million Jews that were in Jerusalem at this time. So it's a big party, right? There's a lot of people that Jesus Christ was coming into. Right? And so it was a very important thing to note that, look, the nation was there. Right? Jesus was about to be crucified by the nation. And in, uh, we just read that passage for sake of time. We're not going to go into it again, um, the passage uh, verse 1 through 11. But we understand, according to Luke's account, that Jesus Christ was almost to the point of weeping as he was riding in. They were, they were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, because they had read Zechariah 9.9 that said that the Savior would come in on a colt right, on a donkey, meek and lowly. So when they see this man coming and his disciples saying this, this, this word of praise, they automatically know, hey, that guy's supposed to be the Messiah. But Jesus is weeping because he's not going there to set up his kingdom. He's going there to die, right, to die, and they don't even realize it. Tradition holds that, because this is roughly six days before the Feast of the Passover, tradition holds that this was the night that a Jewish family would go out and pick what lamb they were to slaughter for the feast. Isn't it amazing to think that all of these Jews were going to go out and obtain a lamb in order to provide this form of atonement when the actual lamb of God was in their midst? When the actual lamb of God was in Jerusalem at that time, they were disputing over the person of Christ when he was actually their sacrifice, right? What religion will do is religion will hide you from Jesus Christ. Religion will hide you, will hide you from Jesus Christ. A lot of times the most religious places are the most spiritually dark. 
because they perfect, they protect our flesh. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ was coming into. Oh, how man hides behind his clothes of leaves when God has provided his attire. I'm thankful that I can stand fast in the grace that Jesus Christ gave me. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven. I'm not trusting my righteousness. It's in the past. I wouldn't even tell you about it tonight. You wouldn't let me preach because you'd think I was such a sick, vile sinner. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ's righteousness to get me to heaven. When I stand before God, it's going to be his blood that I'm going to plead, not my own. And that's not religion for you. Now, in verse 12 of, of chapter 21, and Jesus went into the temple of God. I like that. He was, a, he was a king, but he didn't go to the palace. He went straight to the church house, right? He went to the temple because his kingdom was to be a righteous kingdom, right? A righteous kingdom. So he automatically goes to the temple and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Now, we don't have time to go to it, but if you go to 2 Chronicles 6.21 in Isaiah 56.7, this is what he's referencing, right? Back in Jeremiah chapter 7, the prophet Jeremiah, what he would do is he would stand in front of the temple and he would plead with the Jews that were going into the temple. And he says, look, just because the temple's here does not mean that this is a house of prayer. Your hearts are not right with God. And he would cry outside of the temple to the Jews that would go in. And that's exactly what Christ is saying. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. The temple was the mediator between the Jew and God. It was where they, they found communication. You remember Daniel in the Old Testament, right? He knelt down, he opened the window, and what way did he pray? He prayed towards Jerusalem because that was where the temple was. And Jesus comes in, and they had made it a place of merchandise, a place where they just sold for money, right? They would sell sacrifices for material gain, and they had forgot the connection between them and their God, right? Let us not forget our connection with us and our God, right? Let us come to the house of God and have the mindset to worship, the mindset to serve. In verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them all. He cast out the money changers and the priests and all that. And what did he do? He brought in the blind and the lame, right? Because it's lawful to do good, right? That's what he was testifying to. Verse 15, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were displeased. And he said unto them, and they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? They literally see the kids praising God because of what their parents were doing. And the Pharisees look at Jesus and they're like, Do you hear this? Right? They can't believe it. They can't believe that this is going on. But look at this. And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Now this is a message all in itself. I sat down last night and thought about this one for a while. Okay. Now this is a reference back to Psalms 8 verse 2. But think about what Jesus is saying. He says, you want to know what perfect praise to God is? It comes out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. Right? A lot of churches, we try to have these huge, elaborate, you know, like, um, worship services, right? We got to worship God. God approves of our the lights and the backdrop and all these things, right? God, God appreciates the manifestation. But God says here, He says the perfect praise that God accepts comes out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. You know why? Man, when kids get excited, they are not scared to show it. When kids get excited, they are honest. When kids want to show affection, they are honest about it, right? When we're in church, 
man, we sing those hymns and God, that 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 spring starts welling up in your soul. We we hold it in because we don't want man. People will think I'm weak if I let out an amen, right? If I praise God and I show my excitement and I show my honest affection to him, I will be embarrassed. God says, no, no, no. I want you to praise me as if you were a child ecstatic at the affection of a father. That is perfect praise. And we ought not be scared to give God that kind of glory, right? Because our kids are watching. You know what these kids were doing? They were watching their Jewish parents giving praise to the Lord. And those kids, they got into it too. Maybe our kids would get a little more into it if they heard us praising God in spirit and in truth, getting excited about the things of God, that we are going to heaven. We talk about so many things but the Lord, right? Perfect praise. Verse 17, and he left them and went out of the city in Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, as we're wrapping it up here, verse 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he hungered. I like that. He was hungry. Amen. Went to Outback Steakhouse last night. Man, I had those blooming onion burgers. Oh, it was good, all right? Eating's good. He hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said to them, verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now notice this. If you go back to Hosea, right? If you go back to Joel, Israel is always compared to a fig tree. And he comes up to this fig tree and he's hungry, and he's like, at the time appointed, this fig tree should have it had leaves, so it should have bore fruit. But there was no fruit on it, right? He was comparing that to the nation of Israel. It's about time that the nation of Israel show forth fruit, right? Bring forth fruit to meet for repentance. But he couldn't find none. And so what does he do? He curses the fig tree and it withers away. And the disciples are like, oh my goodness, how soon is it withered away? You see, God's not going to pronounce judgment upon Jerusalem here yet. But but at the tribulation, right? That judgment's going to come and it's going to come fast. And it's a testimony. To, it's a testimony to that. Now, in verse twenty-three, and when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him, and as he was teaching, and said, "By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority?" And Jesus answered and said unto them, "I will also ask you one thing, which, if ye tell me, I will, in, I will likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men?" I love how Jesus answers this stuff. Right? He's like, you try to catch him, you just can't. Right? And they got scared because all the people held John the Baptist to be a prophet. So if they said that it was of men, the mob would have would have killed him, right? But if they would have said it was of heaven, who in the world did John the Baptist point to? He pointed to the Messiah, the Christ, which was Jesus. So he caught him. And it says, and they reason with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why do you did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. That's a curse, man. That is a curse, right? To, to, to he that hath, more shall be given. To he that hath not, more shall be taken away. He's like, I'm not even going to give you the revelation of what's going on here, right? I'm withholding it back from you. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm not going to waste my time. As we keep on reading, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. 
He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. I like that, right? In my personal life, man, I grew up a Christian, but there was a large period of my life that I did not live for Christ. But God still allowed me to come back, right? God is a God of second chances. If you read in Jonah, right, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Praise the Lord for that. And he looks at he looks at him here and he, and, he, and he offers this question. Verse 31, whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him the first. Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You see, publicans and harlots know their need. These Pharisees and these scribes, man, that would, they were engulfed in self-righteousness. I heard a quote, Bonhoeffer said it. He said that, that the, prayer of a, uh, the prayer of a harlot is more acceptable to God than the prayer of a self-righteous Pharisee, right? They're, they're totally opposed from each other. And he's telling these Jews, he's like, these publicans and harlots going to the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, that ye might believe him. We'll close with this last parable here. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and left it out to the husbandman and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his sons to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. They will reverence my son. Isn't that crazy? God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And all they did was beat him, stone him, kill him. And God goes, maybe they'll accept my son. Maybe they'll reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said unto them, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on the inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? They said unto him, he will miserably, miserably destroy those wicked men. And he will let out of his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their season. See, they get it. They're like, I would kill him, right? The world loves to talk about justice until it's pointed at themselves, right? The world wants justice so bad right now, right? Black versus white, male versus female, Republican versus Democrat. We all want, they all want justice so bad until the finger's pointed at them, until they're confronted with Christ. And that's the true issue, right? And that's what they can't see. Verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. That's not us. That's not us. Right? He says a nation. We're the body of Christ. We're not a nation. It's going to be given to the remnant of the believing Israel and the establishment of the millennial kingdom because they are going to live righteously for God. Guess what? I could not produce the fruits required for entrance into the kingdom of God. That's why I had to get saved, right? It's not my fruit that saves me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's work, his atonement. I'm saved, I'm saved through faith, right? Circumcision shall be judged, right? The circumcision shall be judged by faith. We're going to be judged, the uncircumcision, through faith, through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. 
And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this par- these parables, they perceived that he spake of them. <laughs> yeah, he was talking about you guys, right? But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Right? They took him for a prophet. Man, I wish we could get into chapter 22. It's amazing. But it's just, it's crazy. You know? I really hope, you know, uh, Paul made this statement. He said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Right? If you're a Christian, the essence of your life should be to know God. The Bible tells us in John 17, this is life eternal, that they may know thee the only true God, right? How can we have a relationship with the almighty creator of the universe and not seek that, at least habitually, right? How can we not yearn for that? How can we not give our lives to that, right? The more you read of these things and the more that you read of the culmination of all that's going to come to pass, man, this world is just passing by, right? I find myself just kind of curdled in the grace of God, just like, waiting for this thing to just end, right? Isn't it crazy? Oh, well, we'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for everything you've done. God, I had I felt a, a good spirit at our church today. And God, I, I just pray that you would just spark a revival in this church, that you would just, Lord, speak to our hearts, that you would help our church to grow, that you would help us to seek you. Lord, and I, as you spoke to Isaiah, You said, no man stirreth up his heart to seek me. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts not to be seen of men, not to be, not not to have thousands of people in this building, not to be, not to do any kind of these great things. Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts in the the privacy of our homes to honestly seek you, God. You said you are a rewarder to them that diligently seek you. And please, God, help us to just get a taste of this, to see that the Lord is good and give our lives to you. We praise you in all things, in Jesus' name.